Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, the podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Let's switch gears and talk about pigs, cattle, goats, and sheep. Because uh, the fair season's over, as people are listening to this, but uh, throughout the summer, in smaller places in Oregon and even some of the bigger places, they have county fairs. Part of the deal is kids raise animals for market. They bring them there, people bid on them, and for years and years and years and years, you've been buying those animals and then donating the food to some worthy cause, a homeless shelter or a food bank, whatever the case may be. And so you tell me you just bought a pig. Well, I I bought a couple of critters. There was a time I was buying so many critters that I thought I'd give up politics and become a shepherd. Um, but since COVID, the prices for these market animals that are raised by 4-H and FFA kids have gone through the ceiling. And I'm glad for the kids. But it got to a point where um, it's the price point is is so high that it's very difficult to compete Back when I first started buying uh, animals and donating them, um, you could get a $2 a pound pig, kiss that goodbye. And the height of the Columbia County Fair was watching a $1,000 turkey waddle out of the the ring. Um, So the kids got great prices. And I was involved with a wonderful company called Global Partners that has a great big facility just outside of Klatskanai. And Global Partners bought a, um, a a pig and then paid to have it cut and wrapped and processed. And so the pig was delivered to the Klatskanai Senior Center. And I went up with the young man, a young man by the name of Dylan Robinson, who is their community face of philanthropy. And we delivered said piggy. During the time that I was there, I learned some very interesting things that the rules are becoming so onerous that um, providing congregate meals for uh, seniors and providing meals for homebound seniors is is getting so expensive and so hard on donors and volunteers that for many small senior centers like Klatskanai that depends on on volunteers and donated food, um, the, the rules are beginning to be overwhelming. They are reimbursed $1.25 for every meal. And at some point, they're going to have to sit down and say, the rules that you are imposing on us, are those rules worth the $1.25? I know that when my husband was involved as chair of a senior center uh, board for a long time, um, they repudiated the federal support because the rules were so difficult. So one of the things is that now menus are being prescribed that uh, specify what kind of protein you're going to serve. And in some instances, they would specify beef. Beef is very expensive. And so even with a whole bunch of freezers full of this very um, um, expensive but beautifully raised animal, uh, they're going to have to figure out all kinds of innovative ways to be able to serve that much pork and keep consistent with the rules. And in some cases, even if somebody showed up with a truckload full of corn, for example, they can only serve corn so many times. And 
um, the, the rules are getting to the point where they're absolutely overwhelming. I'm going to pull together a meeting, even though I'm no longer a senator, I can still pull together meetings. I'm going to pull together meetings with the state people that regulate the draconian requests of rural senior centers for menus with the head of the kitchen and a couple of board members in Klatskanai and just use this little rural town about 50 miles from Portland as an example of why what works in great big urban senior centers doesn't work in rural places. Certainly what you want is a clean sanitary kitchen that doesn't put people like diabetics at risk, doesn't have too much sodium, um, but you can train the cooks rather than squeezing down what the available uses are for the products. Uh, sometimes when they have too much food at the congregate lunch, they put them in individual containers, seal those containers and put them in the freezers so that people with little or no money or no ability to cook or with health problems uh, and they can't get out to the grocery store, could send somebody by to pick up a couple of meals and that's going to get curtailed. Sometimes in the bureaucratic wilderness, we give up the notion of what's the final product. And the final product is to feed people. We talk about food insecurity being pervasive in a land of abundance, which I don't understand. Right up until I sit with the woman that runs the kitchen at uh, Klatskanai and figure out that the big book of bureaucracy is driving their expenses to a point that they may not be able to continue. That's outrageous. Uh, and, and on the one hand, we're bitching about food insecurity. And on the other hand, it's the bureaucracy that makes it too difficult to pass it out. And that, that dilemma comes up over and over and over again in Oregon politics. I give you a, a, a very interesting example, interesting from a political science point of view. At the very end of the session, Governor Kotek did what I consider a very brave thing. And that very brave thing was to loosen up, and this, these are huge generalizations, to loosen up some of Oregon's land use laws to make it easier to, to acquire uh, development property on which to build low-income housing. And at the very last day of the session, this is one of the governor's priority bills, it came up at the very end of the session, and the environmental world had it defeated on the floor. Terribly embarrassing for the governor. And while she and I may not agree on a whole bunch of stuff, I will give her tons of credit for trying to work um, to, to deliver on one of her top priorities. And it was people that should have and have been her allies that killed it on the floor. Um, it's just another example of why we've met the enemy in Oregon and the enemy is us. Well, I want to go back to the pigs, uh, sort of. Um, you may recall when you were in the legislature, one of your colleagues, Senator Hansel, had a bill that would let you use roadkill. Uh, you could go harvest roadkill and perhaps give it to senior centers or food banks. I don't know if you have any knowledge of what happened with that, if it's even happening. Um, he took a lot of, uh, heat would be the wrong word, but he took a lot of ridicule for that bill um, and the critter bill. And I'm just curious, has that subject come up at all, or is that something that just got passed and nothing ever happened? It got passed. I don't know how widely it's being subscribed. 
Um, I had one of the little posters. Bill and I are very good friends. I, um, my parents and his uncle, when his uncle was in the legislature, my father was in the legislature, they were all great good friends. We're not the same political party, but Bill Hansel is one of the finest people that has served in the Oregon legislature. And he took all this grief. One of the little cartoons that somebody drew was about a food ca food cart. And they titled it Roadkill Bill uh, Cafe. And um, I, I don't know how widely it is being uh, subscribed. But I mean, it was an interesting concept and I teased him about it a little bit myself. I'm involved in a situation where we're trying to to cull herds of elk along the Oregon coast. Um, this was a deal that I worked on as senator and got declarations of cooperation signed with a couple of the, the uh, cities on the coast um, to allow sharpshooters, professional sharpshooters from ODF&W, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, or the Oregon State Patrol to come in and cull particularly problem, uh, troublesome elk. These are herds of elk in cities like Gearhart and Cannon Beach um, that have become so habituated that they are in people's yards and have trapped people in their houses or in their cars. And uh, one of the overriding concerns was that because there are lots of tourists in those very desirable coastal communities, that some little kid from Portland would show up with a dog and elk hate dogs and that a kid could get killed. Um, but in order to get through all the bureaucracy of taking an occasional elk out of these herds of between 50 and 100 animals, um, we had people for the ethical, uh, I, I don't remember the exact groups. I was going to use a specific brand name, and I don't remember whether the people for the ethical treatment of animals testified or not, and I want to be clear about that. But some of these um, groups come in and say you can't uh, touch a hair on these elk. Well, okay, um, we had to pass ordinances to tell people they couldn't leave out bushel baskets of apples for them. And um, and we got through all of the the opposition testimony. But the thing that finally turned it for us was that any culled animal would be taken to a food processor with a special license to process wild game and would then be available as protein sources and distributed through food banks. Uh, and it was that beneficial use that was what turned the tide. Um, the program is just getting started. We've worked on it for years and then COVID interrupted, slowed us way down. And so we're now at an implementation point. But even here in Columbia County, there is a very significant herd. I'm going to guess there might be 100 animals in it. And they wander onto the highway. And you can always tell there's a particular field that they snooze in because driving past it, there'll be cars parked all over the shoulder of people jumping out to take pictures of these animals just lounging in the sun. They're huge animals and are sometimes very aggressive. And so um, again, the point is in trying to feed people the bureaucracy. I mean, the, the bill struggled. We finally got it passed, our, our, the bills that we needed in order to implement the elk project on the coast. And roadkill bills uh, bill finally passed even after the ridicule that he got. 
but it all comes back to how the bureaucracy gets in the way of the solution of the problem and just what a pain that is when we lose track of the goal. I mean, you're trying to feed people, but you can't give them the food because they've already had corn twice that week. Yeah. I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, you would think, well, I, I guess both of us know state government well enough to know that, uh, you know, it's not always rational. Um, and there's, and how much of it do you think is, is an individual that's doing that? And because when you say bureaucracy, there's people behind that bureaucracy. So do you think it's one person who likes to take kind of a strict line or is it really you know, somebody on high telling the people down low, here's the way it's got to be. I think it's a little of both. And I'll generalize by saying I have been surprised now observing it as a an outsider. I'm no longer, quote, part of the process. So I have a slightly distant view from being right in the middle of it. But I'm surprised how often politics and personalities get in the way of a solution. And I'm surprised at people's unwillingness to give any quarter at all. We've been in this running fight in Oregon about which is the best methodology for eradicating homelessness. Is it housing first, where you just stick a roof over somebody's head and you leave all the problems undealt with? Or is it the, the methodology that we use at Helping Hands, which is a charity that I'm involved with, that tries in a trauma-informed, data-driven way to ascertain what puts somebody on the streets to begin with. Is it mental health? Is it drug addiction? Is it the co-occurrence of both of those? Is it domestic violence? Is it an economic calamity that drove somebody to the streets? Um, is it ascertaining who just wants to hang out on the streets and be a criminal or a drug dealer? Those guys are not generally good candidates for rehabilitation, I might add. But um, uh, we got into this big debate, this public debate about do you build the houses first or do you try to ascertain and deal with what's the underlying condition that puts somebody on the streets? And as a result of that, some very strong personalities emerged and those personalities drove the lower down bureaucrats and certain attitudes about certain solutions became ingrained and intransigent. And um, it, has, it has lengthened the debate, it has exacerbated the problem, and it has confused the dear old taxpayers who are just saying, you're grinding all this money out of us and the problem is worse. What the hell is wrong with you guys and why can't you fix this? Why can't the rules be the same for everybody? You know, it should be one answer one day and a different answer the next day. It should be consistent, right? It absolutely should be. And, and uh, as we're seeing on a national level and we're seeing in the state of Oregon, um, it isn't. Uh, and this whole, you know, dual tracks of justice and what's good for one person for records retention isn't good for another person for records retention. Uh, I'm doing that at the national level. Um, it, it's it's very painful. And um, as I was in a meeting a, a couple of days ago, somebody said there has never been an instance where perception has been as um, big a problem as the reality. Uh, people, and I go back to the the facts that people, the fact that people in Multnomah County are just being unmercifully taxed, and they look out their window, and crime is worse, drug abuse is worse, 
uh, vandalism is worse, graffiti is worse, and people dying in the streets uh, is worse. And they look around and go, what the hell is wrong with you people? And you can throw up every kind of bureaucratic excuse that anybody can think of, but the perception is the reality. You guys have got tons of money. Go fix this. And it doesn't happen. And people are pissed. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.